Amen. Thank you, Pastor Caleb. Let's pray, church. Father, we can't come to you enough. And we just ask now, Lord, that as, as we're gathered around your word, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, as, as excited as, as we get to praise you, Lord, in song, and Father, how we're feeling, God, in our emotions, God, you connect with us and we get to declare your praises through song. Lord, I pray we get just as excited to worship you with our minds. God, that we come to your word with the same passion and, and hunger, Lord, excited to, to meet with you, Lord, to have your word, not, not just dry ink on dead wood, because the Bible declares that it, it itself is living and active, able to speak to the deepest parts of us. So, Father, we pray you'd speak to us now. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive your word. And right now, wherever you are, in your seat, I would encourage you to have a little conversation with God. Wherever you are in your relationship with him, just say something like this to him. Say, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, speak to me today. Just in the quietness of your heart. And I say, Lord, for, for I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable. In your sight, in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Our God is greater, amen. Scott, I think, I think they were ready for a couple more verses of that song. We were, we were ready. We were like, man, our God is greater. And uh, so Matthew chapter 6, this is part 9. Can you guys believe it? Well, you know what happens at the end of nine weeks, right? End of nine weeks, you got to take a test. And uh, so nine weeks and a Sermon on the Mount test. And so I'll give, give you guys a test. And uh, just kidding, no tests. And um, so let me uh, kind of catch you up to from where we have been and, uh, and then give you today's title. It's on the screen there as I've got um, my scriptures here and we're looking at this. But it's basically about the kingdom of heaven and how does the kingdom of heaven operate? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, the kingdom. The kingdom is coming and, 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 um, and it starts off with, hey, who are the kingdom people? How do you know if you're a kingdom person? How do you know if you're a follower of Christ? Because a lot of people say they're a Christian. A lot of people attend a church. That doesn't make you a Christian. Being born in a barn doesn't make you an animal. Being born in a Taco Bell doesn't make you a chalupa or a crunch wrap. And so being born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian. Your parents might be Christians. Your grandparents might be Christians. Your sister, your uncle, your brother, somebody might be. But you, how do you know if you, sir or ma'am, are part of the kingdom of heaven? You have that kingdom citizenship. Well, the Bible tells us at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 is this introduction to what kingdom living looks like. The world has been turned upside down by sin, and Jesus came to, y'all help me, right? Set it right side up. And, um, and so this is what the kingdom is about. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he, he begins with the Beatitudes. Hey, you, you want a checklist to see if you're part of the kingdom of God? you got to start with the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How do you get into the kingdom of God? You have to admit you're poor in spirit. You're bankrupt. You can't get in on your own. And you need a Savior. That's The, the door is open right there to all who are willing to admit that. You're welcome to come into the kingdom. For those too prideful to say, I don't need that. I don't need help. I got my own 
okay, then that's not part of the kingdom. And then he goes at the rest of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who mourn and the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And when you're persecuted, and he says, my people, kingdom people, be salt and light, adding preservative to their world, adding preservative to their nation, adding, being a preservative and a light, not darkness to their neighborhood. And then he said, how do you know if you're a part of the kingdom of heaven? He says, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees' righteousness. If you don't know who the Pharisees were, these were the most religious guys, and they had the religious as, as you see, they're kind of mentioned in some of these other phrases here as, as hypocrites, but they had all the right dress, all the right talk, all the right Bible verses they could quote, but their hearts were far from God. And that's what he had to say. He said, your righteousness has to exceed theirs because theirs is external righteousness. My people have internal righteousness because I change a heart. I take a dead heart and I make it alive. I take a stony heart and I make it soft. That's what kingdom citizenship is all about. And so this is the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to give us, how does this happen? And anger and murder and lust and love. And he goes through. And then how does the kingdom of God come to earth? And last week we saw, man, the kingdom of God comes to earth through our generosity. We bring the kingdom to bear on our world through our generosity. And today we're going to talk about how to move mountains. I don't know if you've had any mountains in your life before, but I need you to know that Jesus said if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and it will do that. You say, Pastor, that sounds kind of like some fairy tale stuff, right? Sounds like a movie. Sounds like something cute we say to kids, you know. But I'm here to let you know God is still in the miracle business. And I've seen it. And I've been a part of it. And honestly, if I hadn't seen it and been a part of it, I'd probably be like a lot of us. I'm not so sure that's legit. But when you're part of something that God does and you see it, you can't help but say, oh, my. There's no way humanly possible this could have happened. And, and we see cancers that are on a CAT scan, and then all of a sudden they're gone. You see flights that should have uh, changed and, and not been there and gone, and you see flights change. I mean, all kinds of things happen. We see children who were flatlined and dead be brought back to life that could not be explained by the doctors. I saw my brother who had a temperature over 110, his brain should have been fried and been brain dead. And he stands today with all of his faculties. He is a doctor and a counselor, and his brain still works perfectly because God can do miracles. And here's the crazy thing. God invites us to be a part of that process, right? I mean, that's crazy. That's like the brain surgeon, you know, coming in and saying, Mackie, come in here, man. I'm I'm going to fix some neurons here. I want you to hold the scalpel. I want you to be a part of this. And we're thinking, uh-uh, I'm not holding that scalpel. And he says, no, no, it's foolproof. I already set everything up. You, you, you just get a little part in here. I did all the work. That's what prayer really is. God has done the work, but he gives us the opportunity to join him in moving mountains. And I don't know about you, but man, I face some mountains in my life. There are some things that go on in our world. Man, there are some sicknesses that come against us. There are some financial situations that come against us. It seems like, God, this is impossible. And so what is prayer? That's really the question, right? What is prayer? What is prayer for? Well, a lot of us, as I read this week, uh, because of our society, you know, we had this idea in our, in our mind that it's kind of like a magic wand, right? I've often said to people, look, I, I wish I had a magic wand. I could just kind of wave over your situation and make it better. But I don't, I don't have that. But I have something better. 
I have Jesus Christ who has a plan and he knows what he's doing. And he has promised, as one of our men prayed over Miss Dottie and her husband Bill this morning as they were taking him to the hospital, God, according to the word in Romans 8.28, is going to work all things together for your good. He didn't say everything's going to be good. He's going to work all the things, the difficult things, and he's going to show you how he and only he can change that into a good. And so from Cinderella to Aladdin, right? The fairy tale stories in our society, based on characters whose lives are changed at the granting of a wish, oftentimes when it comes to prayer, we think and we treat prayer like a magical wand that we can wave at God up in the air and we can get our dreams to come true, right? But the Bible teaches us that prayer is not a magic wand, but it's about a relationship with our Heavenly Father, amen? Prayer is, is not an enchantment tool that we use to make God our cosmic slot machine. But it's a relationship with him where we stay connected to him, where we, where we have a conversation with our father. And so we're going to navigate that. What is prayer for? I would say prayer is not a magic wand, but it's more like a, a wartime walkie-talkie. Because as we said before, the world has been turned upside down by sin, and it's a battleground. Good and evil, God is working, bringing his kingdom here, but the forces of evil, Satan and the devil and his demons are, are all the time attacking us, all the time coming against us. And how many of you have needed some help sometime, right? And, and, and when you get on the, the walkie-talkie to say, I need some air support, stuff is getting deep over here. Let me tell you about what's going on in my household. And you drop to your knees or you stand and you whisper a one-word prayer and you say, God, I need some help. It's kind of like if you've ever seen the movie Avengers. This is how I imagine it. Forgive my little, my little brain. But there was one of the Avengers movies. There's like 10 of them. And, uh, but there was one where Loki, he was doing it uh, for a bad reason. He opened up a portal in the sky, a big old portal in the sky. And, and he invited all the bad guys into New York City. So the big portal opens up and these bad guys come in. This big like worm-looking centipede thing, all these it sounds like a bad word, but the Shatari guys, they come around, they're like floating scooters and all this other stuff, and they come in, and he opened that portal, right? And uh, some of y'all haven't seen the Avengers. You have to go um, and, and, and be sanctified and go home and watch it. And, um, and, uh, but that's, that's how prayer is, man. Prayer is opening the portal for God's kingdom to come to earth because we're saying, God, there are some forces going on against me and in my home right now, in my life right now. God, I need your kingdom to break through. And help me with this situation. And so it's a wartime walkie-talkie. And so let's talk about it. What are some basics here according to the scriptures? And uh, we'll try to get practical this morning. How do we move some mountains out of our way? Uh, how do we open up and get some air support to come in and, and the Calvary to come to our rescue? Number one, you can write this down. Do pray. That's how you start. Do pray. Do it. Just do it. God, I need some help. It doesn't have to be complicated. But don't pray like a hypocrite. Do pray, but don't pray like a hypocrite. Notice as we check out these verses here in chapter 6, says this, right? Verse 5. He says, and when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, so he says, do pray. That the assumption here is that we're praying, just like giving. When you give, okay? When you pray, you must not be like who? 
The hypocrites. Why are they hypocrites? Because prayer is meant for a relationship, and these guys are doing it to impress other people. So he says this, for they love. They what? They love. They love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not what it says. No, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Here's what they love about it. That they may be seen by others. That's what they love. They love the praise of men. Man-pleasing is what the Bible calls it. And it says it's a snare to, to do our righteousness so that others will think, oh, wow, that guy's real spiritual. Oh, that lady's there so spiritual. And, um, and it's not us reflecting praise back to God. It's saying, ooh, look at me. Aren't I so smart? Aren't I so good? Look at me. Instead of what the Christian should be saying is look at Christ. If you see anything good in me, it's because God put it there. So they love to stand on the street corners to be seen by others. And notice what he says. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They do get a reward. It's not a reward from, from God the Father, the, the ruler and creator, the one who actually gives substantial rewards and gifts. But they got the reward. They got the, they got the golf clap from the people. Wow, look at that guy playing. Ooh, look at that lady. Man, she great. They got that. And that is so, so inferior to what God would offer us to have approval from our creator, from our loving father. And so do pray, but don't pray like the hypocrites, right? Look look at the, the, the rest of the, the verse there. Truly, I say to you, they've received that verse six. But when you pray, notice it says, but when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who's in secret will what? Reward you. Man, wouldn't you rather have the reward from your father answering your prayers than to say, oh, someone in church, someone at my job said, wow, that guy can pray really good. That lady can pray really nice. Wow, what eloquent words she used. Than to have the kingdom of heaven come down and change your family member's life to bring salvation to those who are lost, to bring healing to those who are hurting, to have our nation change and go in the direction that God would desire it? Wouldn't you rather have that kind of reward? I hope so. And so he says, do pray, but don't, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't ever pray in public, obviously, because we do that here very frequently, right? We're praying in public frequently, but we need to watch our motives when we pray in public. It's not saying you can't pray at the dinner table with your family. No, pray that you don't always have to shut the door, but he's saying, guard your heart against the desire to impress other people. Check your motivations. I believe, and my pastor told me the story, Pastor Lee, he was a pastor here for almost 30 years. I remember him telling the story. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who was a, a, a famous preacher back in the, the days. And uh, he said Charles Spurgeon was coming to uh, preach somewhere and, the, and, the, and, and one of the you know, deacons or somebody uh, you know, was praying before he was about to preach. And, um, and the man just stood up there in the congregation and said, oh, mighty Father, oh, we thank you, Lord. And, and he just went on and, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So finally, Charles Spurgeon got up to preach. And he got his Bible and he says, well, ladies and gentlemen, while brother so-and-so finishes having his devotions with the Lord, um, I'm going to go ahead and preach. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and just went on. 
And, uh, and I thought that was kind of funny because sometimes there can rise up in our hearts this desire to be seen by others and, and, and maybe impress other people. And so you can pray in public, but we need to guard our motivation. Amen. So do pray. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't, don't pray to impress other people. That's number one. Number two is this. Do pray using a loose structure. Do pray using a loose structure. But don't pray reciting meaningless words. What? What are you talking about here? Well, let's just talk about this for a second. Do pray using a loose structure. You know what a loose structure is, right? You, you, you get some structure. Like I said, hey, if we're going to play freeze tag here in the sanctuary, you got all the sanctuary to play freeze tag. You just can't go outside. You can't play out in the hallway. That would be cheating, right? That's outside the structure. So, but in here, you can move all around. You can hide underneath the pews. You can jump over a pew. You can, go, you can hang from a chandelier. I mean, just, just go play freeze tag in the sanctuary. But you got to stay in the sanctuary. So there's a loose structure. And um, some of you are wondering what we're going to do after church. And wondering, can we play freeze tag, Pastor? Can we do that? And um, ask the deacons afterwards. And, uh, They'll let you know. I'm just the pastor here, folks. And so using a loose structure, not reciting meaningless words. Look at verse 7 with me, right? Look at verse 7, the very next verse there. He says, and when, notice again, not, not if, but when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That would be the unbelievers. That's what he's referring to there. Heaping up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Unbelievers for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They think they will be heard for their many words. What, what was going on and what many of the uh, pagan religions would teach is there would be a repetition of words. You've heard of the word mantra before, right? Like what's your pregame mantra, right? You know, and that's a repetition of the same thing. I'm going to make the basket. 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 Okay? Or right, like, uh, you know, when you're getting ready to golf, right? You know, and, and, and you talk to the golf ball, right? You're going to go in your home. You're going to go in here. This is your home, right? And, uh, you know, and you, and you talk to it, right? And, uh, and, there's, and, there's, and there's a mantra that you keep repeating. This is what would happen in many of the pagan religions. And they thought that it was a formula to get God's attention that if I say the right words, I will be able to move God to do what I want him to do. Notice what the rest of the verse, it says, for they think they will be heard for their many words, right? They think they will be heard for their many words. That's the thing, by repeating some meaningless words. It's a mantra. That's, and they think that's what's going to get God's attention. But that's not what gets God's attention. And so prayer is not a ceremony, but it's a conversation, right? Prayer is, is not a ritual, it's a relationship. Now, he's not saying that it's wrong to ask for the same thing. Some people have said, oh, you shouldn't pray. Like, Pastor, is it wrong? I, you know, I pray for this in the morning. Should I pray for it again? Or is that like, am I, am I using vain repetitions? No, because the Bible, in fact, tells us God rewards. He tells us in other parts of the scripture, Jesus rewards those men who are persistent in their prayers. So you have somebody struggling with cancer, and you're praying five times a day, God, heal them from cancer. God, it's on my heart. It's, man, God loves that. He loves for you to bring your conversation to him. That's not wrong. But if you think that because you're using these words to say, God, heal them from cancer, those are the magic words that are going to get God to do it. That, that's what he's saying is wrong here. Don't, don't use meaningless words and, and just recite things that have 
no meaning. It's not a ritual. It's not a ceremony. It's not a magic incantation. But now here's the funny thing. Here's the ironic thing, right? Is that the rest of the verses, verses uh, 9 through 14, have been used almost in this way in many different churches and denominations. Many of you grew up. I grew up learning how to recite this prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, right? And I learned it as a meaningless, empty thing. It was no relationship. It was if I pray this right, if I pray it right, God will maybe send me a blessing. It was meaningless words that had no connection to my heart. Imagine if my kids came in, you know, to, to see me, right? And they came and sat down on the, on the couch and they got out a sheet of paper and they're like, Dear Father, may I please have something to drink? Right? No, I want my, I want my kids to come in and say, hey, Dad, may I have something? I, I want them to say please, all that sort of stuff. That's important, right? More for their own sake than, than for my sake, right? Because I'm trying to teach them some things. But they don't have to come to me with a script or some meaningless words, right? Let's say all my kids just, you know, got, they've actually done this a couple times, right? You know, and they just start beating on the table. We want food. We want food. We want food. You know, and they, they all gang up. There's five of them. And, uh, and so, you know, they all gang up. No, they're, they're not getting fed because they're saying that. They're getting fed because they're our children. It's a, a relationship there. Amen. And so using a loose structure here, not, not just reciting meaningless words. Because look at what verse 8 says, right? I love what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says, do not be like them for your, your who? Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He already knows what you need. He's made a provision for it. You don't have to, you know, use a mantra. It's not a ritual. It's a relationship. And then as we look at uh, the rest of the verses here, um, verses 9 through 14, I want to give you an acronym. Maybe you're familiar with it. Um, uh, it's, it's been around for a number of years. I didn't, it wasn't original with me. I'm going to give you an acronym on how to use some loose structure here that I believe. Because many would say this, this prayer here is the model prayer. Maybe you learned it as the Lord's Prayer. I learned it as it was called Our Father. That was the first couple words. And, uh, and it was just like, just pray this and, and like you're good. Go over there in the corner and pray 10 of those and you'll be forgiven of your sins. And, uh, and a few Hail Marys and then you'll, you'll, you'll be covered for the next week. And, um, and so that's, it was a tool to control God not an opportunity to talk with God through relationship. And so notice what verse 9 says, right? Notice it says this. Pray then like this. It doesn't say pray this, but pray then like this. I'm giving you a I'm giving you some loose structure that you can work in because it's more about a relationship than it is about this ritual. And so let me give you this acronym. It's called ACTS, A-C-T-S. And the first word in ACTS is adoration. Adoration, meaning adore, man, just, man, loving God. And, and this is where we start. And so a, a good phrase uh, to start your prayer with is, is, God, I worship you for who you are. As I heard one of our men just pray that we were praying before the service, the deacons and the elders, um, uh, around 9 o'clock this morning. And one of our men just said, God, we just worship you for who you are. I was like, yes, man, that's so true. Because we're not coming to God, again, to get some candy, right? Sometimes we come to God just like, give me, give me, give me. And we come to God and say, God, I just acknowledge your power. And so this is the loose structure. It's great to start with adoration and, and, and by acknowledging who God is. 
and submitting to his lordship. We start there. Notice what verse 9 says, right? The rest of verse 9, right? It says, our father, where? In, in heaven, in heaven. And hallowed, or that word means holy or set apart. By the way, that's, that's where part of the word for Halloween comes from. It comes from all hallows eve or oh, holy, uh, holy people's. The evening it was All Saints Day before that, so Halloween's not a bad word. I know that was like banned by Christians for a while there, but it was in the Bible, folks. And uh, so hallowed, hallowed means holy. And saying, God, your name is holy. God, we are respecting your name. We are honoring your name. You're, you're our Father. You're in heaven. Oh, man, God, we're, not, we're adoring you and who you are. In fact, if, if you want a great book um, uh, to, to write this down, it's, it's called The Great House of God by Max Lucado. It's an older book, but man, it's so easy to read. The chapter's are like probably five pages. And Max Lucado's a, a phenomenal storyteller. You won't be bored. You won't be confused. It's an easy read, and uh, it's called The Great House of God. He goes through each of these verses here in such a, just a beautiful way. And so the great house of God, I recommend that to you. In fact, in that book, he tells this story about when it's talking about our father who's in heaven, because what we're doing, right? Listen to me now. Stay with me. We're, we're taking our eyes off of ourselves and off of our situation, and we're looking to Christ. See, what happens is, man, we, we stare at our situations. We stare at our problems. We stare at all these things, and we feel overwhelmed. And God says, lift your gaze to me. So Max Cato tells a story in that book. He says, um, I went out for a jog one morning. It was early fall morning, and it was the first day of school. And there was a little seven-year-old kid, fresh book bag. The air is crisp and cool. She's got her lunch bag. It's the first day of school. And so I'm jogging, and, um, and I see her, and I say, hey, have a great first day at school. And the girl just looks at me like, oh, how did he know? How did he know? How did he know? And he said, of course I knew I'm an adult. I got my own kids. I stayed up late last night packing their lunches, getting them ready. And he said, but it amazed her that I knew it was her first day of school. And he said, I didn't want to disappoint her. So I just told her, I know things. And I continued about my jog. And he said, but how do parents and adults know things like that that kids don't know? Because parents and adults, we occupy a different world than kids do, right? We understand things that kids don't always understand because of time and maturity. I'm not saying kids don't understand everything. I'm just saying you, you recognize when you're a kid, right, you don't understand things. When you're a kid, you go to a church, right, and you're like, the pastor's up there going, wah, 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 wah. That happens to some adults, too. Um, but, 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 but then... Then after the service, the parents are talking about the sermon. They say, hey, man, the, the pastor said this, the pastor And the kid's like, how did you understand anything that man said? I don't understand a word. Why? Because kids inhabit a different world than we do. Oh, can I tell you, God inhabits a different world than you and I do. And he knows things that you and I don't have a clue about. I don't understand quantum mechanics. Some people are scratching the surface. God invented quantum mechanics eons ago, folks. And when you read that stuff and it points right back to a, a grand, brilliant designer, man, there's stuff that we don't understand. And so God says, our Father who is in heaven, and we get our gaze off of ourselves, off of our stuff, and we gaze to where God is. He knows 
better than us. Hallowed, holy is your name. What is God's character? So you're praising him for his character. He's compassionate. He's consistent. He's caring. He's close. He's competent. Man, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You may be familiar with this, but there are a number of names that the Bible uses for God. Every time somebody gets in a different situation, they, 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 God shares with them a different facet of his character. And so let me give you some of them, some of the names of God. Maybe you're familiar with them. You've seen a list of these before. But one of the ways, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, is Abba. Abba. That means daddy. That means your loving father or papa. It's an intimate word for father. This is holy is your name. You can call him Abba, Daddy. Or another word, El Dia. It means the God who knows everything. And, and when we focus on God's name, when we start with adoration, God, you are my Abba. God, you are El Dia. You are the one who knows everything. God, I can just confess right now. I don't have to know everything. And I can trust you. Jehovah Rapha. That's the God who heals you. Oh, how many of us need healing? Mental healing emotional healing, financial healing, right? Physical healing. And we get to say, God, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals me. Man, Jehovah Jireh, you are my provider. You are, you are going to provide for me. You have made a promise to provide for me. Jehovah Shalom means God, your God, who is your peace. I don't have to have peace. My world doesn't have to have peace, but God has peace and he gives it to me. Jehovah Sedeniku means God, your righteousness. You don't have to have righteousness, but if you turn to God, he will give you righteousness. There are, there are literally probably 30 names of God. And, and so what are we talking? We're talking about adoration. We're starting our prayer focused on God so we don't get stuck in our own situation. We don't get stuck in our own run. And, and, and when we focus on that and we stare at that, it just feels overwhelming. Here's another great illustration from a very spiritual movie called The Hobbit, <clears throat> The Battle of the Five Armies. And, um, and in that movie, Smaug is this humongous dragon. And I showed it one time on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night crew, we get to do all the fun stuff. I got more time. And, uh, you know, we, we showed some videos. It was fun watching The Hobbit. And, um, and Smaug comes over this city called Lake Town. He's just, just firing all up. Buildings, stepping on stuff. Everybody just, Bawr! and um, And there's, there's a bell tower, and, and there's a, uh, an archer trying to shoot arrows because Smog has one chink in his armor. And, uh, and if you hit that one chink, you can, you can get him. And, uh, but otherwise, he's got you know, uh, scales, and, you, and you, the arrows can't get through. And, and there are special arrows. And, and as, as the guy shoots, the last arrow goes, blink, and hits like his tail. He totally misses. And so it's like everything is done. This is it. We, we had a one chance to, to win the battle. And, um, and then the boy's son knew where another arrow was hidden. It was a humongous arrow. And he climbs up the bell tower, and he gives it to his dad. And Smog sees the movement. And, uh, and, and so he comes over and he flies over to the dad and uh, his son. The dad's name is uh, Bard. And so Smog comes to him and he says, who are you that you would stand against me? Now, that's a pity. What will you do now, Bowman? You are forsaken. No one will come and save you. And he crushes the building beneath him. And he walks closer to him, still taunting him. He licks his, his chops and he says, mm, is that your child? You cannot save him from the fire. He will burn. The father and son, though, are working together to make a makeshift 
bow. And what he does is he gets a big piece of rope behind him, ties it to the, the wood poles, and he puts the big arrow on his son's, on his son's shoulder. And he says, be, be still now, son. And he's aiming for that one chink in his armor as he's walking closer. He says, Lay real, stand real still. And the dragon is coming on with dreadful finality, as the book tells. And then Smog says, tell me, wretch, how now shall you challenge me? You have nothing left but your death. The dragon's roar shakes the timbers and the marrow in their own bones, and he's coming towards them like the day of judgment. And the boy, the son who had his back turned, looks because he hears the dragon roar and he feels the shaking. And the father says, Bane, Bane, look, look at me. Look at me. Stay focused right here. And he hears that calm voice say to him. And all behind him, there are flames, there's desolation, everything. And he says, look at my face. And he fires the arrow and he hits him and they save the day. It's a beautiful scene there. And now you've got two movies to watch your edification. And, um, and go tell your friends at work that your pastor supports all these crazy movies. They'll say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> so, and so, man, what a beautiful picture of God, right? Is that the enemy is coming after you saying, you cannot save your family. You have nothing left but your death. And may you hear the Father say, no, look at me. Don't pay attention to what is around you, but look at my face. Oh, how the book of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we start with adoration because it fixes our gaze to the right place. Amen? So we go from adoration. It doesn't have to be that long. I know my point was long, but you could do that in one sentence. The, the next letter is letter C, is confession. Confession. So we move from adoration. God, I, I praise you for, to confession. God, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin this week, God. I just want to, before I come to you, I just want to be clean. It doesn't have to take long. You can do all this while still laying in the bed, folks, right? I'm not talking about three hours of prayer. I'm talking about a couple minutes. Now, if you want to spend three hours, that's fine. There's a time for that. But I'm letting you know you can do this quickly. Confession. God, forgive me for my sins. Admit your faults, right? He already knows them. Look at verse 12, right? Verse 12 says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And, and by the way, the Bible uses that term intentionally there, debts, because sin is a debt that we owe to God. There is a price tag for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a price tag on every sin that we commit, and it carries a death sentence over us. But oh, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who paid our debt. Amen? So we've been forgiven our debts, and so admit your faults, right? doesn't take a long time. Uh, confessing your sins to God is kind of like taking out the trash. Right? I don't know if that's part of the regular chores in your house. It's part of the regular chores in my household. And recently, by lot, it was awarded to me. It was a kid's job. And, um, and uh, you know, I used to get on my kids for not doing it. And, and all of a sudden, it was my job, and I forgot about it. And you know what they did? Oh, man, they were all like, Dad, you forgot to take out the trash. <laughs> but taking out the trash doesn't take real long, right? Pick it up out of the can, tie it, walk it out to the trash can, and drop it. It doesn't take but less than a minute. But, man, if you don't take out the trash, your house is going to get stinky. Confession doesn't take long. But if you don't confess your sins and I don't confess my sins, my soul will begin to be stinky. You don't want that, sister. 
If you don't want that, brother, confess quickly. So adoration, adore God, worship Him for who He is. Confession, confess your sins. T, thanksgiving. Thank God. God, I thank you for this. Now, some people might say, Pastor, that sounds kind of like, a lot like adoration. Now, adoration is just praising God for His character. This is thanking God for, for His benefits, for God, thank you for my health. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for my, my, my church family. Thank you for my eyeballs that I can see. Thank you for my ears that I can go hear. My pastor. Thank you for my legs that I can walk, right? Thank you for a job. Thank you that I got a home. And, and right, we can go on and on, right? This is, thank God, I thank you for these things. By the way, um, to help you with this, uh, I put a purple sheet out here. It's an A to Z gratitude reminder. If you need some help with this, it's, it's got uh, three columns here, spiritual, material, relational. Um, I got A to Z. In fact, I, I got this uh, from another church, so I, did, I didn't get it, but it was good. I wanted to pass it on to you. And uh, A to Z spiritual things that if you're like, God, I'm, I'm struggling to thank you for some things. Pick up one of these purple sheets, right? Uh, here, here are just some examples. A, you're always with me, God. A, you anoint me with grace. B, you bring good out of the bad things that happen to me. B, you bless me with these. C, God, you care about my problems. You calm all my worries and my fears. And so if you're struggling to find these things, amen, pick up one of these. Uh, they're out as you exit and also in the Welcome Center there. On the table is a purple sheet. And, uh, man, if you need that, keep it by your bed before you even get out of the bed. Just hit a few of them. God, I thank you for it. You know, sociologists tell us the most powerful uh, tool we have to, uh, in our emotions is gratitude. Did you know that? And how gratitude, when we start expressing gratitude for things, how it changes our emotional state. And so instead of reaching for the phone first thing in the morning and doing some scrolling, just reach for a heart of gratitude, right? And, um, and begin to share and express your gratitude. So thanksgiving, right? And then S is supplication. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving. S is supplication. Ooh, Pastor, what? What does supplication? Does that have anything to do with eating? To do with supper? No, supplication is is actually comes from another uh, passage in the Bible. Where it says, uh, "Do not worry, do not be anxious for anything, but by prayer and and petition or supplication present your request to God." And um and so it means this is where I ask you. This is where I go through the things. God, I really need help with this. So God, I ask you for this. God, I ask you for this. That's supplication. God, help me in my relationship with my spouse. God, help me with my coworker. God, my car just broke down. It is 110 degrees out here. I really need some help right now. Okay? And, and so, listen, you could do all this in, in just a matter of seconds. God, I praise you for who you are, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. God, I just I ask you, help me, God, because my attitude's been poor. I'm just confessing, Lord, my attitude's been poor. And, Lord, I thank you for this day. And, Lord, right now you know I need some help with my kids right now. Because I'm about to lose it. They don't want to get in the car, and, um, and I'm losing my patience, right? That's, you, you could go much deeper than that. You could spend 20 minutes on it, but you can, you can do it. And, and listen, sometimes all you somebody swerves, and whew, you don't have time to be like, what did Pastor say, A-C-T-S? You just need to say, thank you, Jesus. I didn't get in a car wreck. That's okay, too, right? Okay, so, so it's a loose structure. Are you with me? It's a loose structure because you're having a conversation with your father, you don't have to be like, oh, did I do it right? No. No, it's not about the words. It's not even so much about the structure. This is a healthy structure to give you a good model. But you don't have to be like, okay, am I coming to God the right way? No, he's your father. He just wants you to come to him. Amen? 
Look at verse 11 with me. This is underneath supplication. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Right? He's, he's saying, ask for what you need. Ask for what you need. And notice he's saying here, bread. And bread represents the things that we need. God, I need wisdom. God, I need intelligence. I need healing. Lord, I need some financial help. Ask for anything. Don't be embarrassed. Sometimes we're like, oh, I can't talk to God about that. And God's like, what? I, I love you. I want you to bring that to me. Notice that the word there, it's daily bread, not monthly bread, not weekly bread. He's asking you to trust him for what you need today. See, we would love for God to give us a little bit of security about the future, right? God, I want to know that everything is going to be cool in a month from now. God, I want to know that everything is going to be, I want to know that, that I got money in the bank for tomorrow. And God's saying, no, because you know what happens is you start trusting in yourself. And you say, God, I don't need your help anymore. Ask for your daily bread. How many of you this? I heard um, uh, a story. Adrian Rogers says this. How many of you would rather have a warehouse full of bread, a warehouse, humongous warehouse full of bread, or a rich father who's a baker? What would you rather have? Warehouse full of bread? What's going to happen to it? It's eventually going to rot. You're not going to be able to use it all, okay? Little rats be getting up in there and chewing it all out, bugs and everything else, and uh, ants coming into my house like they're coming into your house in the summertime. Um, and, uh, and, and, man, just, or do you want to be able to go to your father who has all the resources and say, God, I need some bread today. And your rich, kind father gives you exactly what you need. Our daily bread, the needs for today. God, I trust you today. So ask for anything you need. And, um, and, and notice the word here is needs. Sometimes we have wants and, and we don't understand those. And it's okay to say, God, I really want this. Help me sanctify my needs here. Make sure, God, my heart's pure. And uh, I heard Agent Rogers tell another story um, uh, about uh, he worked uh, in seminary. He would drive to, to the church. And, uh, and one of the, the men there was an orange farmer down there in Florida. And um, man, he had a truckload of oranges. He said, I want you to take some oranges back to your uh, apartment there and, um, and, you know, just have a good time. He thought he was going to give him like a little, you know, a little Walmart bag or something, right? A little brown bag. This is back in the days. And, um, and so the guy gave him two humongous sea bags. Y'all know what a sea bag is? I'm a lot of military folks in here, right? Big old humongous bag, you know, from the floor to here, just filled with two of those, right? He's lugged up with them, throws them in the back of his car. He's got no place in this house to put them. They got to put these oranges, two humongous sea bags full of oranges in the closet. And um, and then, so, man, they got oranges. And he's like, give them away to some of your roommates and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and where he lived, he was renting an apartment. And he was on the second floor. And he could see um, down in the little yard there, they had a sour orange tree. And uh, I don't know anything about sour oranges, but he said, but sour oranges, they look real good. He said, but they are nasty. He said, they're not fit for man nor beast to eat. He said, they'll give you lockjaw the moment you eat them. It's so sour. Just, your face all twist up. And, um. And he said, I saw a boy sneak over the fence. And he started climbing that tree to steal a sour orange. And first of all, he thought, why on earth is anybody going to steal a sour orange? But then he realized, that's a little boy. He doesn't know it's a sour orange. And he said, and then God spoke to me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's how oftentimes we are. We're climbing a fence, thinking we need something, trying to take it. And all we would have to do, and Adrian Rogers said this, all that boy would have had to do was come knock on the door. 
sir, can I have an orange? And I could have blessed him with the right kind of oranges and more oranges than he could ever imagine. But yet he's climbing over the fence, secretly trying to steal something that he thinks he needs. And I got what he truly needs. And he's going to taste it and find out that it was sour. But all he had to do was knock on the door and ask. Jesus said, you have, well, Jesus didn't say this, but he did say it through his word. Uh, In the Bible, he says, you have not because you ask not. Ask. It's okay to ask and don't be embarrassed. But, But know that when God says no to you, it's because he's got a closet full of the right kind of oranges. Amen. And so sometimes when you get a no, God is protecting you from something way worse. And so A-C-T-S, give us this day our daily bread. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication, God. That's a great loose structure that you can pray. Hey, listen, is it wrong to pray this prayer, our Father out in heaven? It's not wrong to pray that prayer, so don't misunderstand me. But if you pray it and you pray meaningless words and your heart's not connected and you think this prayer is going to get you like the key to unlock the door to heaven, yeah, that would be wrong. But if you need something, you're like, Pastor, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. And you want to use this as a great model. And then you want to, you know, jump off of some of those words. So you say, our Father, God, you are my Father. Thank you for being my Father. That'd be great. Who aren't in heaven, God, I thank you are in heaven. I was listening to the pastor saying, Lord, help me to turn my eyes to you. That'd be fine to pray that. You, If you've been around me, you know I love, man, pray the scriptures. Those will help you. But don't pray the scriptures thinking they're a magical tool. You understand? That's superstitious. Not a person of the citizen of the kingdom who is coming to their father. And so lastly is, is this in closing. So we, we, we do pray. We don't pray like hypocrites. Uh, we, we pray using a loose structure and uh, not meaningless words. And then finally is do pray as a child of God. Don't pray as a creation of God. Do pray as a child of God. Do pray as a child of God. Don't pray as a creation of God. Maybe you don't understand the difference, and hopefully I will make that clear, because sometimes we're like, aren't we all God's children? Well, yeah, we were. We're all created as God's children. But then the Bible says every one of us has rebelled against God and said, God, just like a child does, I don't like living here. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm packing my bags, and I'm leaving. I don't want to be in this family. I don't want to be your child. And we put our bag on our back, and like a little seven-year-old, walk out of our parents' house thinking we know exactly what we can do and don't get to the end of the part before we realize, I don't have any food and I don't have any place to stay. And we make a U-turn. But see, some of us, we haven't made that U-turn. We have said to God, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I stiff-armed you and I'm walking away from God. And we haven't yet made that U-turn. That means you have said, I don't want to be your child and you're just his creation anymore. And until you make that U-turn and say, God, I want to be your child then he embraces you and and you become his child again. That's not the problem. Look back with me at the verses here. Notice the language that Jesus uses all throughout this. Look at verse 6, right? Verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your who? Your father who's in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you. Verse 8, do not be like them for who? Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. And he says, you're a child of God. You, you're my child. You have all the rights and privileges. In fact, another verse I want to share with you is Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. 
says this, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as what? Sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, that's Daddy. And that word scandalized the people of that time because they say you, you got to talk to God with reverence and respect to Jesus. And his disciples saying, we call God our Father. We call him Daddy. Daddy, help me right now because it's a relationship. It says, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's Jesus, folks. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption. We've all been adopted back into the family as sons. And then check this out. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Daddy, Father, Papa. I heard the story about a successful uh, businessman, and uh, his son wanted so desperately to play with him and spend time with him. He was a successful businessman. He left early in the morning before his son got up, and he arrived home right at dinner time. They had a very efficient dinner. They were talking, eating quickly, and then the dad got up, and he went right to his study, his home office, and he shut the door, and he worked there till the evening hours, and the boy had to go to bed. But the boy said, I would sit longing for my dad's affection at the door to my dad's office. And I would often write little notes and pass them under the door, saying, Dad, would you please play with me? He longed to be with his dad. And the person telling the story said, oh, how many of us feel that way about God? We don't think that we're his children, that we can come to him, but we think we're orphans. We think God is a busy man running the universe, and we hate to bother him. God, I'm sorry to, to bother you, but would you please, and I slip my prayer request under his door, maybe hoping you will hear me, instead of realizing that he's your father, that the fullness of the kingdom, in fact, if you look back at the verse where we talk about uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, and all the kingdom he's given to us. We're not an orphan crying for mercy outside the city gates. God, please help me. God, please help me. We are sons and daughters. We're not slaves either, as those verses said. A slave is reluctant to pray, hesitant to ask, oh, God, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. We view the relationship with reverence and fear, but not the tenderness of being loved by our Father, who we can say, Daddy, I need some help. There's a sanctified unworthiness that comes into some of our prayers sometimes that reveals we really think we're still a slave or we really think we're still an orphan, not someone who has been embraced as a child of God. Amen. So for many of us, we view God that way. And how do you view God? Are you his child? Do you remind yourself that you're his child, that he loves to hear you, that he loves and delights to spend time with you? In fact, he is longing to spend time with you more often than you're longing to spend time with him. He is a perfect father who died on the cross. So pray as a child. But here's the thing. Some of us are still God's creation because not everyone is a child of God, as I said earlier. So where are you in that, sir, ma'am? Are you a child of God? By our sin, we have walked away from God. We have gone far, far away. Here's how you get back to be a child of God. You simply just turn. Wherever you're at, you just turn to God and you say, God, help. And that's enough for your father to come running right to you. There's a beautiful parable in the Bible. talks about that. 
about a son who had just been wayward in Jesus, and he comes back. He makes the turn. The Bible says that the father ran to him and embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. But you see, the Bible says God can't hear, listen to me now, God can't hear the prayer of the unrighteous. Why? Because their sin, they have removed themselves from God, and they're not near him. The only prayer that he will hear of an unrighteous is this, God help. God, I turn to you. God, I repent. That's the prayer he'll hear. And you know what's beautiful about that, sir, ma'am? As soon as you pray that, as soon as you say, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I'm sorry. And you turn to him in that moment. When you submit your life to Jesus Christ and you surrender to him, you become a child of God. And listen, doesn't matter if that happened just a few seconds ago or if that happened 80 years ago. Ask Pastor Caleb. They got a brand new baby. That little baby, did they love that baby any less? No, they got older kids, Leilana and Arjun, they're eight and a couple other ages, and, uh, and uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, they don't get preference because they're older. That little baby cries, wow, well, she's just brand new. She gets the same treatment. She gets the same treatment as a child who's been in the family for so long. And the children have been in the family. They don't get any less treatment because they've been there for a while. Don't you, aren't you so encouraged that God loves all of us no matter how long we've been this child or not? Whether it's just been two seconds ago, we get the same love, the same embrace, the same needs provided for by our Heavenly Father. And so, as we close and, and prepare to respond, how's your prayer life this week if you're a believer? How's it going? Right? Could you rate it? Right? Non existent? Maybe, Pastor, I get some barely at mealtimes, right? I try to say some grace or something like that. Okay. I pray at all the meals, Pastor. I'm good. Right? Or I, I pray regularly, right? I pray in between meals, okay? Or, Pastor, I pray I pray without ceasing. I pray 24-7. Lord, I'm just walking around having a conversation with God. Where, where are you at? And how can I encourage you to take your next step, right? Read through this passage this week. Grab one of these purple sheets and, and continue, right? Or, or just start your morning off, right? Just start your morning off laying in bed and thanking God for who he is. Start your prayer off that way. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, we'd love to help you get that relationship connected. Love to help you know how you could become a child of God. You know, the verse said, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for our bread. You know how bread is made? You know what has to happen? Man, a kernel of wheat has to die. A kernel of wheat has to fall from that stock. And then it'll be mashed up and turned into bread. Oh, what a picture of Jesus Christ. The bread of life that we offer to you today, sir or ma'am who doesn't know Christ. Jesus is that bread of life that will satisfy you, and it's the greatest bread you could ever have. And he says, those who come to me who are hungry, they will never be hungry again. Those who are thirsty will never thirst again because he died on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. So would you trust him today? Let's bow our heads. and We're going to have a word of prayer as we uh, prepare for our response time as the worship team comes forward and as we're just thinking before the Lord here quietly and navigating what it means to walk with God, navigating our relationship with God and, and what it means to pray to Him. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you give us grace. And God, more than anything, I hope that we would all in this room know you as Father and to see the great resources our Father has. The kingdom of heaven is ours. And God, when we're facing a situation, we can call down the kingdom. We can call down reinforcement. But we've got to make the ask. We've got to be honest with you. 
we've got to have that connection with you. And so, God, help us all, Lord, in our prayer lives. Lord, search our hearts. See when we're just praying out of routine or ritual. Lord, see when we're praying just to impress other people. It's a temptation for me, too. I'm a professional prayer. Lord, I ask you to help my heart to stay connected to you intimately as my father. And I pray that for every brother and sister here, part of the Plaza family, God. And I pray for those here who don't have a relationship with you, Lord. They would realize there is a father who loves them, who has adopted them. And all they have to do is, as those verses said, receive it. There's nothing an adopted child does. They don't earn their parents' love, but it's a receiving it. Come home. Come home with me. I've been waiting your whole life for you to turn back to me. Today is your day. How do you do that? You may say, Pastor, you just cry out in your heart right now. The quietness of your heart, there at your seat, you can say, God, I don't know all the words, but God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I admit that I've sinned against you. You know that. I know that. God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm sorry for my sin. And Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin so that I could be in a relationship with you. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe that you rose again on the third day. Showing who you truly are. So God, help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to celebrate. We'd love to welcome you home as a child of God. The Bible declares one sinner repents, the angels in heaven celebrate and rejoice. Greater than any movie, greater than any touchdown or goal scored or last second shot, the angels in heaven are roaring, are excited, are celebrating when one of God's children comes home. We thank you for that, Father. Be honored in our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.